When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Some facts. Get you some facts right Hello and welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. I am your host, Corey O'Flanagan, and as always, this podcast is proudly a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Guys, if you're listening, please think about leaving us a nice review. Five stars goes a long way to help, and even tell a friend, because we really appreciate that and love it when you spread the word. On the show today is a hip-hop legend and the co-creator of a song that you have no doubt heard. DC Glenn is one half of the hip-hop group Tag Team who wrote the beloved smash hit, Whoop, There It Is. We catch up with DC as he is coming off the success of his latest endeavor with his classic track as a partnership with Geico. I had something in mind as I went into this interview, but was pleasantly surprised to talk to DC, who has a lot of energy and even more to say. Hearing the story of how Woomp came together is obviously a great story, but hearing how he has and continues to keep this song and revenue stream active even today is the highlight for me. So do as I did and sit back and enjoy DC Glenn as he tells the ongoing tale of one of hip-hop's most recognizable tunes, Woomp There It Is. Alright DC, let's go back a little bit. I want to go back to just before the 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 big smash of whoop and i want to comes out in the early 90s and what were you up to before the success of this song kind of take me and the listeners leading up to that if you would when i moved to um when i moved here to atlanta and i came before when i uh visited steve he took they took me to a club called magic city okay and it's magic city uh, adult entertainment club and I had like $500 in my pocket and within a half hour, that money was gone. Oh, you dropped and it on the, that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, 
it's like, oh my God, I lost it to Tinkle and Sparkle, right? And I knew right then and there that I was moving to Atlanta. And we had a ball that week and went back, finished up, packed up, moved down here. And I actually had a job at CNN. And, you know, I, I came down that weekend and I was like, I got to go back to Magic City. Went to Magic City and the DJ sucked. Okay. And I was like, oh my gosh. I don't know if he sucked. He was having a bad night. And I was like, I could do this because I've been DJing, you know, I made a name for myself on the West Coast as a DJ. And I thought the DJs in Georgia was just going to be like, I'm not going to DJ in Georgia because I know they're just way too good. Right. Yeah. I didn't really think that, but I just wanted to get the lay of the land. And I was like, man, I could work here for the summer and do, you know, CNN in the fall. So one of the uh, security guards was like, well, there's magic right there. And I was like, Magic, can you DJ? He's like, nah, but come see me Monday. When mm -hmm. seen him Monday, he's like, I don't need a DJ, but I need a cook. And I was like, all right, I'll do a little chefing. And got upstairs, cooked a couple orders of chicken wings and a salad. Because there was another <laughs> lady there. He hired two cooks. And uh, the DJ was like, hey, man, can you DJ for me? I got to go run some errands, run to the bank. I was like, all right. And Perfect. back then, that's the beginning of hip hop. You know, that's the early 80s, you know, late 80s, early 90s, there were rules. You never let anybody on your turntables and you know you gotta control the mic. Hmm. And he gave it to me. And I got up there and started DJing and then started seeing girls look back at me like, who is this? Talking, you know, with great articulation and, you know, and energy. And I'm like, they'd never heard anything like that. And they made more money than they'd ever made on a day shift because it was in the daytime. And we just partied all day. And oh, wow. that weekend, they have a, a meeting every month with all the dancers and you know the management and the DJs. And one dancer named Indigo, she's like the lead dancer. And she got up and she was like, first and foremost, we want him, right? <laughs> and Matt's like, all right, you it. And I was, I was up and I never looked back. So I'm, you know, and me being such a good DJ, there are things that were, there were things that are normal now, like I break records or certain things about DJ life that I was the genesis of and the evolution, right? Yeah. Because, you know, like breaking records I really didn't call it breaking records, but it was more of a friendship thing because I, every back then, every record company, right, had uh, record company reps, right? Yep. Where they might have a region, Southeast region, Northeast region, Mid-Atlantic, Texas, Midwest. Yep. And the, the heads from both coasts would send, you know, would feed all the product to them. And then they would take it to radio or whoever, they thought to the record pools in that area and all the reps would come and see me at the club, but they didn't, you know, they were just doing their job. They would come in and drop off a stack of records, be like, Hey, what's up DC? How you doing? It was never any, you know, man, why don't you play my record or what's that record doing or nothing like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, I didn't, I didn't think that of it cause I didn't know I was just having fun being a DJ. But, um, you know, shortly after I started working there, one of the reps name was Doug Craig. He worked for, uh, Epic records. Right. Okay. And he, I mean, a, I think it was A&M and Epic. A&M or they changed or something like that. I can't remember, but uh, he 
bought me a record, a Candyman record. And he was like, hey man, I really like this record, man. Just play it for me a couple times to see what you, you know, I'll come back next week, you, you know, tell me what you think. And uh, he came back and he was like, so what you think? And I was like, hey, let's just candy, come here. Like, what you think about this record? Cause that back then it was only vinyl, mm-hmm. right? And it had a nice cover on it. She was like, man, I love that record. I was like, I'm gonna put you on stage next cause that's the record she danced to. And he got to watch me put the record on. She go on stage, start dancing to it. And all the men come and then the whole club party into the record. Oh, wow. And that was the, that was the genesis of it, right? Didn't even know it, but it was, it was based on friendship and trust and, you know, just a favor, right? And he went back and made his reports and everybody's like, man, go on, Doug. That record ain't doing nothing in the Southeast because that's this is a West Coast record. That's how narrow record company execs used to think, right? Yeah, yeah. They're thinking all they are is all they're thinking is radio. If we can get it on radio, we might have we might get some plays, it might do some some sales, right? Yeah. But it wasn't about it being organic. And I had figured out a way to make it organic and after that, all you know, Doug would tell all the other reps because we were all friends, and everybody started bringing their records. You know, it wasn't even; it was just all major labels. No independent artists were saying, "Hey, man, play my record." You know, they would put them in the record stores and then hope they sell, but didn't know how to promote their record. Right? That's so interesting. So, yeah, yeah. Think about it. It's like you know, there were certain independent record stores that because that you know everybody had to go to the record store to get oh, yeah. their music. Oh, yeah. Right. So if they heard something in the club or they heard something on the radio, then they would run to the record store and get their music. You had a couple you had the big chains like Tower and, you know, chains like that. But the mom and pop record stores fed the communities Mm -hmm. the music that needed to be, you know, that they wanted. Right. So they would go there first. But then if they come to the club and hear from me now, I'm a source because in Atlanta, they didn't have any rap stations. Right. Yeah. So what was the source of rap? How are you going to get rap music? You'd have to, you know, the the people in the, the people who worked at the record stores ended up being the, the record company reps because they would play the records in the store and then people would hear them and buy them. So that was a uh, job of the record company reps as well. They would go visit all the stores and make sure the stores were playing the records so when people were inside, they would hear them. Right. That's so and it just it, it just evolved into this thing where I'm getting records from the record pools. I'm getting records from uh, the record labels and I'm still buying records because I was in California. I bought records from L.A. Yeah, I bought records from Florida. I bought records from uh, 12 inch dance records in D.C. And I couldn't wait every Friday. I called them like, what you got? What you got? And they'd be like, I'll put a pack together for you. And they send me a pack of records of everything that came from New York and the East Coast. So I would get all the white label stuff. Like I had uh, Jazzy Jeff, uh, girl, you know, Girls the World Ain't Nothing But Trouble. I had that when it was on a, a light blue label. I had all, the, you know, <laughs> the bridge and all the MC Shan, all that, all that original old school hip hop. I had, a, I got them still on white labels because they hadn't even got deals. They just pressed up 500 and put them in the record stores. That's how oh we got God. records back then, right? So I got all the stuff down from LA, Dr. Dre, Egyptian Lover, all that stuff. I got all the stuff from Florida, Luke. But Luke and them was national, so you could get it at Tower. But some of those records you couldn't get that way. Like MC Shadi, you couldn't get at uh, Tower Records. Yeah. Right? So I was getting all these records, and little did I know that it was, you know, 
um, it was exposing me to every type of hip hop and every type of R&B. So I was becoming a seriously well-rounded DJ and I could go anywhere because, you know, fast forward a couple more years, I'm playing go-go, I'm playing reggae, I'm playing, I know where to get all the records. Everything. And these are physical peace records, right? This is, this is way, this is not even, this is before wound. But being in the Southeast and understanding this, I knew that I was in the land of booty shake, right? Oh yeah. And we were, make, we made music forever, but we were always, it was always hip hop. Cause we were inspired by, you know, different forms of hip hop on the East and the West. So I, I came to the realization and was like, Steve, we've got to make an up-tempo record. You know what I'm okay. saying? Not a bass record. Cause he was like, I don't know how to make no bass record. I was like, no, 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 no. Up-tempo. I said, think Planet Rock and Egyptian Lover. Cause those yeah. are two of our favorite records, right? And we already knew we were gonna use the Kano sample. And he put up, put together the beat. I had a stack of rhyme books and I just started going through the rhyme books trying to match the beat with the you know lyrics. That's how I used to do it back then. So you'd been writing for a little while then? You had some stuff that you just- I had books. All I did was write because it was That's fun, it. Yeah. right? I used to, I used to love to write just, just the, and you know, I'd have a rhyme, I've had rhyme books and dictionaries and I, I really be university with it because yeah. I used to do, that's how I started. I did it in class. See, Otis, see, we used to be three of us. It used to be Otis Preston, Otis P, me, and Steve. And I was kind of the, the DJ at first. And then when I got to college, my freshman year, I was just in class. And I, I got this Brian Stolo rhyme book out the library. Sorry, Lord. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'll go, thank you, Lord. I'll take the opposite route there. <laughs> sorry, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And that's what started my writing career because I'd be in class and I see all those rhymes together. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I just write and just write. And I was coming up with those stuff and then I would say it. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm writing. I'm, I've got songs. And a freshman year, I met a guy named uh, Johnny Z. We stayed in the same dorm. John Zanino. He um, he made a record back in the day uh, with N Two Deep. He was the producer N Two Deep. Back to the hotel, okay. right? And but we met years before that because I taught him how to rap. I taught him how to DJ in college, and he taught me about heavy metal. Right? So it's like, you know, music brings people together no matter what. Oh yeah. Right. And um, he had bought a four track or his parents had bought him before or something. And he was like, man, I don't know what to do with this thing. I was like, I'll figure it out. And I'll figure out how to use a four, Tascam four track, the original, <laughs> right? And my partner had a um, 808. And I was like, man, let me borrow your 808, man. I got this four track and I got fair. He's like, nah, hell nah. I was like, all right, cool. But he's like, you can come over and make some beats and then record them on the four track. I was like, cool. So I went over there and made like 10 beats, right? Okay. And I had 10 beats on a cassette on a four track, then I just start laying junk on top of whatever, scratches, playing little bitty kids flute, pots and pans, whatever, any type of noise that I can make yeah. seem good into a song. And then I had so many lyrics that I started rapping over these songs. And then I had 10 complete songs and I sent it to Steve. Steve like thought I was in devil worship because it was just like, <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I would use Halloween screams and stuff like that, right? It just, it just was, I would use sound effects records, right? 
they used to have sound effects of records where they had effects on the records band and and it just wasn't widely accepted outside of a michael jackson single yeah, at that exactly time. <laughs> exactly 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 so um you know steve got intrigued he went and bought a four track and a, and a drum machine so now because we were we would go to the studio but we'd have to go to the studio pay but you know it'd be on under, under the under the time but when you're in your own home and can make music i mean that's just that's the dream, yeah. especially back then, Oh yeah. right? So now it's going back and forth. He's do 10 songs, I'll do five songs. We just send him tapes back and forth in the mail, right? And we got better at it. And, you know, 80, it started like, it, it started like 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, right? Oh, you'd been at it and then, okay. Yeah, 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 right? So then fast forward to, you know, us making the, you know, whoop, there it is, track. I had like maybe six other songs. I was like, no, nah, that's not it. But then there were songs working on whoop, there it is, because it was a party saying in the clubs. Yeah. And it fit perfect, right? And I was like, cool. And then we just did it. And it, everybody think that it's this master scheme. You know, I had whiteboards and I'm, okay, we're going to do this and cross <laughs> this by that. And had just, you know, I, like it was rocket science and it wasn't. It was just another song that we'd done of the hundreds of songs that we had done, right? And went to the studio, recorded it in August 92. And I go to work that night, get set up, pop it in with a cassette. And to this day, that is the biggest response on a record I have ever had. Really? I've been, I've been DJing for 30, 30, for 34 years. And I just retired not too long ago. And it's still to this day, the biggest record I ever had. What do you and, think? Were you nervous because you're so used to playing other people's music? Were you like, nah, I'm going to just slide always, mine we, in? It, it, see, it wasn't that. We always would play. We always go to the studio and I come back and play our records. Yeah, okay. Right? And because, you know, all you need is one girl to like it, right? Yep. That back, goes back to why the relationship between me and Doug was so cool. Because if a girl, that's why the break records thing, that was the, the beginning of it. Because if a girl dances to your record, that means... If you treat it like a radio station, that means you got two plays a night. If she goes on stage twice, if you got four girls that like your record, you see what I'm saying? Oh yeah. So you gotta hit record. Every girl wants to hear your record. You're playing it all night. Yeah. And then that's what makes guys love record. That's what made guys that from New York come down here and see girls booty shaking to to booty shake, and they're like, "What the heck is that music?" But you see a girl shake to it, you're like, "I like that song, man. That song is dope." Yeah. All their, all that New York shield of any other thing other than their hip-hop comes down and now they go back to new york and they love booty shake yeah right they go back to la they go back to where they're from and they love that type of music because they've seen the girl shake their ass to it right and that was how i broke records amazing right? in an in, in in organic inadvertent way right and that was my formula and i never had called it breaking records i didn't i never i still don't call it breaking records i just I have formulas that I use because I'm tenacious in my research and how I do things. And they come out, you know, I try different things. I play chess. I'm seven, you know, I'm seven moves down the board. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that was the genesis. And then I stopped playing Whoop, There It Is, you know, like just like a month because we had other songs and they like those too. But one of the girls was like, DC, how come you don't play Whoop, There It Is anymore? And I was like, I'll play it for you, baby. And I played it again, and the same response happened. But that night, uh, Alan Cole happened to be in the club. And he was a rep for Columbia. 
And he was like, man, what the hell is that? <laughs> like, that's, that's my new record, man. He was like, man, give me that record, man. I got to send that to New York. And he, he really worked his butt off to try to get me a deal with Columbia. But then I really knew I had something. And then I started shopping, right? And this is yeah. like, this is probably January of uh, 93. And this is your, and all, this is where, when people, when you, when I started just learning more about this story, this is where your business savvy, I was just like, wow. He kept yeah. the grips on it because it'd be so easy just to be like, go do it for me. But you're like, no, I no, got no, this. No, 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 I'm never like that, dude. See, we're going to be here for a while. <laughs> oh, so, after that, I almost gave up because they're the major labels. They, they don't know. You know what I mean? They don't know how to do what they need to do. They don't like to take chances. They like, they need, they need verification and validation first. Yeah. And then a lady named Lisa McCall, gave, you know, she was, she was a record company rep and she was like, you might want to talk to Al Bell, used to own Stax Records. And I was like, really? He's like, he had a, he put out Daisy Dukes last year with Deuce and it went gold. And I was like, ah, so he knows how to work a bass record. And I guess, so I said, okay, cool. I gave him a call and took him a week to hit me back. I kind of forgot about it. I'm just working in the club, having fun. I get a call. He's like, hey, brother, how you doing? I was like, who's this? I'm like, this is Al Bell, Bellmark Records. Used to own Stax Records. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was like, <laughs> hey, Mr. Bell, how you doing? And how you, what's going on, man? I was, hey, let me tell you something, Mr. Bell. I, the biggest club in the country. I've tested this record. It's the biggest response I've ever gotten on a record. It's an incredible record. You need to hear this record, man, and you need to put this record out, man, please. I'm just telling you, you're gonna lose this record. And he's like, all right. I was like, what? It's like, you haven't even heard the record. Your pitch. <laughs> yeah, 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 and, I, and to this day, to this day, I'll never forget what he said. He said, I don't have to hear the record, brother. I hear it in your spirit. Oh, and I wow. Was, those most beautiful words I ever heard ever still to this day. And he said, let's agree to agree. And then I signed a messed up record deal, gave my two weeks at Magic City, and in a month and a half, I was platinum. Oh my God. <laughs> in that time frame too. So it in gets that released frame. and it's platinum in a month. Oh my lord. Because the, because and here's here's some of the things that made it accelerate. Um Ed Lover is a good friend of mine. So everybody's a good friend of mine because I was in the number one strip club in the country. And anybody, that's when Atlanta, I got Atlanta when Bobby Brown, LA Babyface got to Atlanta. I got to Atlanta when all, when Atlanta became Atlanta. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, they all knew me. So Ed would come down and he was like, man, what's that record? What is that? I was like, that's my new record, man. He was like, man, give me that. I was like, here you go. Gave me a cassette. He said, man, I can't use no cassette money. Can't use no cassette money. <laughs> right? And I was like, all right, man, you got to give me some vinyl, DC. I need this record, man. New York is going to go crazy when they hear this. I said, what? But then I kind of knew that because genesis of hip-hop. I don't care what nobody says. Genesis of hip-hop. True hip-hop. It's Planet Rock. Oh, okay. You see what I'm saying? Planet yeah. Rock because that started the whole b-boy revolution right you had you, you true you had you know craft work and stuff like that with craft work and 
uh, the message and, you know, Grandmaster Flash, that's that's a certain type of hip hop, right? Yeah. That's the beginning, beginning, but the true essence, right? That everybody was able to, to deal with all over the country, no matter who you were, it was Planet Rock because it was the ultimate party record. Yep. Right? And then all the Africa Bambada stuff and then the Al Nafish and all those records that spawned off of that era. And, and, and the, that's where breakdancing came. And that's where the DJ became more relevant. And that's where, you know, rocking the mic came, became more relevant, right? Beginning, yeah. it was just two turntables and a microphone. So it was like DJ be cutting and scratching and then the dude be rapping. But when yeah. it came to the B-boy thing, that was more, that was what the dance, right? That was the party. And, you know, so I left Magic, I told Albert, I was like, look, you gotta get me vinyl as quickly as possible. And maybe two weeks after I left Magic City, I had vinyl. And, I, and, you know, Ed, I was like, Ed, I got the vinyl. He's like, I'll be down there this weekend, man, because he was coming down anyway. And I bet him in Magic City, gave him the vinyl. And that Monday, him and Dre played Woomp There It Is, the whole show of MTV Rap, Yo MTV Rap. Oh, really? Yeah. And that right there, everybody was like, what the hell is that record? Right? Then... You know, the Jordan, Michael Jordan and the Bulls had won their third championship. Now everybody, I got 500,000 people in Grant Park celebrating, chanting, whoop, there it is. Oh my God. <laughs> right? <laughs> now I got the whole city of Washington, D.C. trying to get this record because my first line is, uh, D.C.'s in the house, jump, jump, rejoice. They think I'm from D.C., so they're representing me and I'm representing them. They want this record. They're blowing it up in D.C. Perfect. Right? Then we go, we go to LA to do one of our first radio uh, promos. When our first rate, our first radio promo was with Tupac, right? <laughs> and you see what I'm saying? That's just crazy. <laughs> it's just an unbelievable thing. And you can't help but name drop because you were just right in the thick I, of all it, of this. And it's it, just me an, and Pac oh used to be at the club. God. Pac's mom lived down here. So Pac was always down here, right? Oh yeah, that's right. Me and him used to hang out in the club uh, on Camelton Road called uh, Obsessions, right? And we'd be in the VIP just having a good time. And I, like, I knew everybody, right? Yeah. And I knew everybody even before. Right. All the our athletes, all the stars, anybody, all the businessmen, all the people, anybody who came into Magic City, I knew them. Yeah. Because they when when you are an entertainer or anybody, you go to the DJ booth first. And they always come to DJ booth. They'd be like, what's up, DC? And they just knew me. And then I was at other clubs that Magic had on, the dance clubs he owned. So I was DJing there as well. So the whole city knew about me. Yeah. Right. And you know, because I'm always, I, I just know how to market myself. You know, I'm, I, when I DJ at a club, I'm more than just a DJ. I'm, I'm your sound guy. I'm your lighting tech. I'm your marketing guy. I'm your voiceover for radio commercials. I'm cutting your radio commercials. You know what I'm saying? I'm making your calendars. I'm, I'm yeah. your fashion photographer. I'm, I'm more than just a DJ. I got, because I learned how early, how to maximize wherever you're at, it's called being in the corridor. If I'm gonna be at the strip club, then I'm gonna do all these things and I'm gonna have six six streams of income because this thing is meant as a cash cow. Yeah. This thing is all about money. So why not have six streams of income doing different things, supply and demand? And that's how it's always been, right? Oh, that's so good. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So oh, yeah. like, and that's, that's the perfect fast forward to, I mean, we could jump all over, but fast forward to, now in this pandemic 
right? Uh, what the pandemic did for me is that what it did for everybody, but in different ways, stopped us in our tracks. Yep. Right? It made us reevaluate everything. It, you know, it stopped me in my tracks. And my question with myself was, what are you going to do? You can't yeah. do shows, right? What are you going to do? And I was like, can't do shows. Shows ain't coming back for two, three years. Hmm. Voiceover. Oh, that's and okay. I've, Sink I've or swim. Was, I, yeah, I, I, always, I, I was already working in voice because I retired in 2015 yeah. from, from the clubs because I couldn't be a 50-year-old DJ. I just refused, right? <laughs> Plus, it was just time. Right? You know, it was just time. But, you know, all these years of the clubs, I had accrued all of these talents. Yeah. Whether it's SEO, marketing, uh, you learn how to do Photoshop, graphics, all of that to help, you know, to be everything for the club. Yep. And as you do these things over years, you get better. Like I'm in the club, I'm a D club DJ, but I'm also a licensed commodities broker because oh, I went wow. to all the series tests, right? I'm also, I do so many things because I'm trying, I know that I can't be just one thing, yeah. right? Because, you know, we had a, I'll go back to that. But my point was, I went back to the beginning because I record every class, everything I do. And I had all those classes from uh, voiceover. And voiceover was frustrating to me at the beginning because I couldn't figure it out. I come from, it's like when radio jocks try to be do commercial voiceover, they struggle because it's totally different, yeah. right? And the same happened was, was for me. And my hubris got in the way because I thought, shit, I can whoop, there it is my way through anything, right? Yeah, okay. But it wasn't happening. I'm flying to New York. I'm flying to LA. I'm training with the best people in the game, right? And I'm mad at them because I'm thinking something wrong with their teaching. <laughs> right. So I had to go back and listen to myself from 2008, how I used to talk, how I used to think, how I used to flow, how I used to work things out and just hear me talk and go through this process, hear my cringe worthy voiceover auditions. And it was heartbreaking. Right. Yeah. Because I was I was the one stopping myself. Yeah. Right but it was also inspirational because I started filling in the holes and started strengthening my weaknesses. And after a month of doing that from like March to April, I had a mastery over my voice that I had never had in my life. And I started booking, right? Yeah. Instantly because I, I had it right. All that training, you have to go over it twice. And I tell people, I was like, whatever you whatever class you take, whatever, you better record it because you're not going to remember, right? You're not going to, you just can't. It's too much information coming at you. You remember yeah, something. Oh yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's how fast you can you retain information. And even if you do retain it, like, like for me in video editing, if I don't do any video editing in a month, I kind of got to do a crash course a little bit for about 15 minutes to get back to my, where I was, right? Yep. So you have to, this, these are things that you have to do constantly. Same with practice, practice, practice. You got to put in the reps, basically. Stay tuned for more Song Facts Podcast right after this. Ever wonder how my voice is bouncing off your eardrums so clean and crispy? No? Well, let me tell you anyway. 
The Lyra microphone by AKG brings their legendary acoustic engineering to a versatile USB mic that delivers the highest quality audio in its class. USB connection. This is good for me because of the simplicity and the ability to just plug and play without an interface. You may have gathered from various episodes that I am doing this show on the road, so being that I record most interviews in a different location than the last, it is good for me to know that I have a high-quality, easy-to-transport-and-use USB mic like the Lyra to make sure my sound is clean. Whether you're like me and recording a podcast, a musician recording vocals or an instrument, or if you need to do a voiceover for a YouTube channel... Lyra's innovative AKG Adaptive Capsule Array adapts to your performance to record pristine audio. It has four versatile capture modes. What's a capture mode, you ask? That is how the mic picks up your voice. Just trust me, with these four options, it's really all you're going to need. With AKG Lyra, you'll be up and running in no time, no matter your experience level. There's no assembly, no need for separate audio interface, no fiddling with software settings. It just works right out of the box. And Lyra is something that is compatible with Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android devices, and all major recording softwares. So, if you're looking for a mic that offers ease of use along with a high-quality sound, Check out the AKG Lyra and look no further. Hundred percent. That's a ten thousand hour thing, and I, it, yeah, 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 yeah. It, but it actually, sounds... actually, the ten thousand hour thing, right, can be cut. It can be cut in half or even in three quarters, because we're in a different age. This is an age where you got to learn how to learn and adapt. We are all in the Serengeti, right? We are all in the Serengeti. So what are you going to do? You're going to be predator or you're going to be prey. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the pandemic forced me to stop, look out the window. I'm revving the engine. I'm driving, but I'm not going anywhere because I'm stuck in mud. Right. Mm. Everybody thinks they're a hustler. But if you're hustling and you're not going anywhere, what are you doing? But I was, you know, that's just the analogy I use to, to hold myself accountable. Right. Yeah. And I started booking for voiceover then because and I'm an actor as well. So I shot my first movie in April of the pandemic. Oh, they, really? my, my acting coach called me was like, I'm casting this movie. You in? You, you can you travel? I was like, hell yeah, I can travel. I'll just be hazmat suited up. That's all. <laughs> right. And went to Nebraska because Nebraska was open. And they were like, we don't care. We're open. And we shot in, <laughs> we shot in the middle of a cornfield. And it was one of the most beautiful weeks of my life because it was peaceful. And that was the week that George Floyd got killed. Okay. So the whole whole country was in chaos. And I was in the most peaceful place. And we're sitting here watching the world burn and we're safe, right? Hmm. And shot that movie there. It's called My Corona. And it's it's incredible because it was like the movie's called My Corona. It's about uh living in the age of corona, but then it's a documentary about shooting a movie in the age of Corona. Oh, there was both going shot on. for the movie and it's being shot for the documentary part of it. Right. So that's about to come out. Then I got shot my sh- second movie, which is a mediator in Georgia. Then I'm booked for voiceover after voiceover after voiceover. And then September here comes Geico. Right. Yeah. And you know, everybody asked me, Hey man, I don't know. Are you happy? Are you, are you just excited about the Geico commercials? Like, no, I was excited the first two days in September. But then after that, I knew I had work to do because usually when you get a Geico commercial, mm-hmm. you 
you're gone. I'd be talking to you in a, a hotel room right now if it was the pandemic. Just like, doing the media tour? Nah, just doing, we'd be on tour. We'd be on tour, man, you know how many oh, people are trying to get us on tour right now and, and just trying anything to get out, get us out there because they know we're hot and they know they can make money. Oh my God. But we'd be, we'd be doing show after show after show after, every night. When Salt and Pepper did theirs, they're, they weren't doing anything before 2014 and then boom, they got, they got a Geico commercial and they had been touring ever since because I was on tour with them, right? <laughs> I did tons of shows with them. So I knew I had work to do. And I was like, I will be damned if I'm going to let this opportunity, something this big, you know, not bear any fruit. Yeah. Right. So I got to work. And the beauty of it is that the reason that commercial is so successful is because I prepared for a month for that commercial. Now you would think it would be that simple, right? You'd just be simple. You show up, do what the director says and, and yeah, but I'm a trained actor, right? Yeah. So I started coming up with scenarios, you know, what can I do? And the essence of that commercial is, you know, me and my brother sitting in the driveway, my father made his, making the ice, having his ice cream recipe, pouring it in the cylinder. We got the ice around. We got one of them old schools. My brother cranks five minutes. I crank five minutes, 20 minutes. We got ice cream, right? <laughs> That's the essence of that Geico commercial. Cause it's supposed to be soup. There it is at first, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was like, what is this? What's some old Jerry Seinfeld soup Nazi? <laughs> and then it calls like, no, 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 we're doing, we're doing, we're doing, uh, we're doing scoop. There it is ice cream. And I was like, oh, okay. And that's when I went to work and I was like, okay, what scenarios can you come up with? Okay, you got that, you got the essence. I want it to be where when chi when children see this commercial, they go to their parents and be like, I want a party like that, right? Oh, really? So what can you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking kids, cause two big, you know, middle-aged dudes talking about ice cream. Come on now, you know what I mean? It has to be, I know how they work. Those Geico commercials work, right? Oh, it's, yeah. the, it's the asinine a little bit, but. Yeah in context right so i was like man i wish i had a spinning scoop right and try to find a fabricator to make it and we had a production meeting the night before at our uh, uh dress rehearsal and they were just fans they're like you guys can do anything you want to do i was like well i got a couple ideas like dc shoot and i was like i got the spinning scoop but i can't i couldn't get it made he's like it'll be done tomorrow i was like whoa you know, oh my God, with, think you know of having saying? that kind of pull. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I was like, and then I want to do this ode to LeBron James where he goes to the scorer's table and he does the chalk. He's like, yeah, yeah, I want to do that with sprinkles. Love right? it. Right. And then there's a dance we do down south called the Yeet, that bass art that everybody with that, lo that loves bass does. So that's my ode to the southeast and to the culture of our music that everyone, everybody sees me dance, they'll know that's what it is. So now the whole south is like, I, I co-signed that because that's cool. And then just, you know, I did the Salt Bay, but I had a long sleeve shirt on. So sprinkles <laughs> was sticking to my shirt. It just, I had like eight scenarios, right? And when he really shot like all it. of them, right? And the ones he picked made the commercial. The spinning scoop and the sprinkles at the end, it's just classic. And then yeah. the other actors did their thing, right? And you know, me and Steve, we always bring that energy to the stage. It's energy that feeds through people. And all this hit at a time when the world needed it. Yeah. Everybody's, you know, it's 
it hit on Christmas. Everybody's like, didn't get to spend Christmas. Everybody's depressed. You know, everybody said they're not depressed, but there's a certain depression that creeps in that we're going through because uh, everyone like, needed a light and we still kind of do. A light. Yeah, they needed a light. They needed something to make them happy and something to make them smile. And this was it. Yeah, because I still I scour the Internet every day and I pull every every post from every social network and archive it. Right. I get, you know, you know, that goes back to just preparation. Right. So. I could have just sat back and be like, hey, I want to just have a I want to just be tag team and boom, 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 and boom, boom, boom. And yeah, I'm just having fun. I'm in the Geico commercial, but it's like it's time to go to work. What are you going to do? with these lemons to make a lemonade company, right? Yeah. To make a lemonade conglomerate. And, you know, my agents are like, I'm like, this is gonna be big. I think I want a publicist, right? And so there's like, we are gonna find you a publicist. I had meetings with these publicists and it's in COVID. They don't know how to deal with anything right now. They're trying to find their way. They're like, we just don't want to spend your money like that. Cause we don't know. I was like, thank you, right? Yeah, that's, that's then, being honest. I like that. Yeah, it's being honest, yeah. But then I was like, forget that. I was like, I'm gonna figure it out myself. And yeah. I went, whenever I want to figure something out, that's kind of eluding me really now anything, I go and join an organization. Every professional profession has an organization or a society full of the professionals in that profession. Some might have been doing it for 50. Some might have been doing it for 10 but they're all in that organization and yeah. they all know the game. Right. So smart. And I did that. That's how I started getting the shows. I was calling booking agents like this around 2012, 2013, because that's when everybody thought Barack Obama was in our video. Remember that Gawker had wrote an article that man, Obama's in tag teams video and he's a rapper and he's used to be a gangster rapper and they just made this narrative right <laughs> i do remember right? and that. I, and, yeah and yeah and i'm at i'm at the club and i get a call at the club they're like dc somebody want to talk to you at the front door and i'm like man leave them take a message they just kept calling back dc these people was not gonna stop calling back she said is helen something from the new york times I'm like new york times how the hell did new york times know i'm here and i went and i was like she was like from new york times i need to talk to you dc i was like hey i'm working call me in the morning at this number. She called me in the morning. She's like the whole world, you know, it's, it's gonna be a big story that Barack Obama was in your video. And I want to interview, I want the first interview. And I was like, all right, so we'll do it tomorrow, you know, on Monday, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh. And the reason she called me at the club because nobody could find me, right? <laughs> Because we didn't have a website, we didn't have anything. You know what I mean? I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't thinking about. I'm in the club making money. We're doing shows here and there, but you know, we're doing just ha NBA halftime shows, right? That was yeah. our specialty. So, I vowed that that will never happen again, and that's when my SEO journey started, and my web building website journey started, right? I love I that said, you're just willing to take the reins on this stuff. Oh man, yeah, I yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. You love have that. to though. You have to, man, because it's like if I don't. If I don't take advantage of it, it's my fault, yeah. right? And I'm tired of missing opportunities. I've had opportunities all my life to where I, because I wasn't trained or because I wasn't versed in something, that that opportunity collapsed because I couldn't do it on my own. I had a chance to make a song for the Olympics, but because I can't really, I'm not an engineer and I can't do it all myself, I couldn't do it. I had mm -hmm. to rely on other people. And then it's just not, other people's vision is not the same as mine, right? Yeah. So. 
you know, that faded real quick, but that SEO journey continued and it continued through the club. And I got the club hop. I was one of the first clubs to have a website that was really functional and I'm learning SEO. So fast forward to this, you know, that's part of it. You know, when people go to the site, now they can find me, right? So with this PR thing, I joined, I said, you know, I, I, I was trying to go back to the shows. I'm trying to get us shows, right? I joined the, you know, every, every booking agency just giving me the run around. They're just like, you know, I got a whole list. I'm calling them. I was like, I just want to get on your roster so I can get a, a, a picture with a link back to my site. I'm thinking SEO, right? But I want to be on their roster too. Cause I'm looking at salt and pepper and I'm trying to navigate their path what their people did for them. Yeah, I mean, you've got some precedent that you can be like, yeah, I yeah. want to, I got, I can yeah, learn yeah, yeah. from this. That's what I want to do. But I was, you know, I wasn't coming up with anything because everybody's like, well, you guys only got one record and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, you know what? I joined the International Entertainment Buyers Association, IEBA. This is where all the buyers are. There's a hierarchy. You got the people who buy, then you got the venues, which is the stadiums, the, uh, you know, the stadiums, arenas, casinos. Then you have the big time booking agents with our live nation, you know, uh, yeah. ticket master. Yep. You got that level of it. Then you got the booking agents, then you got the managers, and then you finally got the artists. And I learned how to do that all on my own because I went to their convention and had a big whoop, there it is, t-shirt, and just started <laughs> giving out business cards. Say, my name is DC Glenn. I'm with Tag Team. You might have heard a song named Whoop, There It Is. Like, yeah, we love that song. Well, I just want to introduce myself. We're a clean, you know, 90s nostalgia rap group. And I'm looking for shows. And it's like, ooh, clean rap group. Okay. And one lady pulled me to the side. She was like, it's brilliant that you're saying clean rap group because you just had to say rap group. Nobody would talk to you. I was like, really? She's like, we don't touch rap. Oh, I thought that you had pre-thought of that for sure. Mm-mm. I mean, that was just the pitch, right? Yeah. And that was just the pitch. I was like, because I mean, I know, you know, it just sounded good. It kind of, I kind of had knew that, but I just said, I'm a, we're a clean rap group and boom, boom, boom. Because it's because the 90s nostalgia, if you're doing 90s nostalgia shows and the places that I wanted to get to, you got to be clean. And we didn't cut and we don't cuss. So it was natural for me to say we're a clean rap group, right? Mm-hmm. So now we're getting shows. Now it's like, I go through this whole convention, Hard Rock Cafe, casinos, rodeos, state fairs. Uh, you got all these tribute bands. I didn't even know the tribute band game was so big. Now I got all these managers of tribute bands saying, hey, I'll take a crack at being your booking agent because it's good to all these all these buyers are telling me I need to diversify because I need to have a rap group in my game. So if I do a state fair, I can put a rap group. How long can you do? Can you do an hour? Yeah, I could do an hour. But I'm like, shit, I don't know if I can do an hour, right? <laughs> I was like, oh my God. So that started the journey on how do I do an hour? So what am I first and foremost, always and forever? A DJ. Yeah. So the first half hour, however long the show is, the first half of it, I'm DJing 90s cuts, going back to when I was a kid in the club. Love DJing, it. DJing, rocking the party, right? Then we stop, but you still got to have a show and you still have songs that nobody knows. So I can't just go out there and have songs that nobody knows because they're going to be looking like, man, just hurry up and sing Woo. What is wrong with you? Yeah, right. Yeah. So I started taking comedy classes. Oh, right? I love this. I take I took I took two comedy classes that year and I was the headliner for both because I'm a writer. And 
I didn't take comedy classes just to be doing comedy. I took comedy classes to write entertaining segues between songs that people didn't know. Yeah, and that's what I would figure. fashion the segue to that song. They hear the song, they're having a good time because they've been laughing a minute before. Hey, they, all, song, all our songs got good beats. We got good songs, they just don't know them. Yeah, exactly. But when you have a good beat coming through them speakers and you got that segue, then come out of it and tell more and entertain more through segues, but they're actually jokes and bits and punchlines and, pre, and you know, uh, uh, pretenses, then you can, you can talk 10 minutes. And they're laughing their ass off, having a fun time. We're all we're all a family. Nobody's like, man, hurry up and play some music. It's not like that. Yeah. And that you could do that all the way till whoop, there it is. And I'm like, thank you, everybody. We're out of here. And it's like, oh, what? what the? And then we come back encore and bam, kill them. With yeah. Whoop, there it is. And they only remember the end. Right, I, I do really that like that because you know one of some of my favorite shows have been ones where the artist just takes the time between the songs to really connect with the audience, and I and, and connect with the audience, not waste time. I want you to do. I I need you to clear the air for me here because I was having this conversation with my producer, and he was like, "All mm -hmm. right, you just got to ask him. You got to get it from the source. What's the truth behind Whoop and Woot? There it is." And it's funny you said that, right? Because Saturday <laughs> night was the first night, I first time I talked to them in 25 years. Really? We were. I was on a. Uh, uh, I was on a clubhouse with 95 South. And I mean, what are you got? What are you gonna say? Right? It's like they they wanted they accused back in the day they 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 thought we took their record right, and I'm like where did y'all get the record, right? Y'all couldn't have made it because if anybody should be mad about it, it should be Disco Rick because Disco Rick had made the record a year before and he made that record. It wasn't even, it wasn't called Womp There It Is, but he had that chat in his record because it was a party saying. Exactly. It's like somebody, it's like 10 records came out, throw your hands in the air. You're going to be mad. You're going to be like, you stole my record. Man, party and throw your hands in the air been around since the beginning of hip hop. Everyone's been saying that. Talking about, right? <laughs> so that's, it was, it was, a, it was, it was just a coincidence. And they were like, you guys stole our record. I'm like, dude, that I've got paperwork. We, 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 we copyrighted it in January. There's no way. But then the story they said was I was DJing at the club and they came, they went to the strip club. They bought me a test press. I played it. And then I called Steve and said, Hey man, you know, boom, 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 boom. And then next thing you know, they hear that we have a record out. And I'm like, that don't make no sense because 1993, there were no cell phones. That was the beginning. That was the beginning of a cell phone. You know what I'm saying? That summer we had cell phones because we had burnouts. We had the big bricks, right? Yeah. I yeah. said, if you had a cell phone, you had to have it connected to a battery. You had to have it connected to your car. I was like, there were no cell phones. So how I didn't talk to when I played Whoop, there it is. I talked to Steve the next morning. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. that's the only way you could communicate to him. So that's not false. And plus, when you did that, I wasn't even working at Magic City. I had already I, I was gone from Magic City. Right. So they've been thinking that for these 20 something years. But then they, you know, they come to find out all this information. Like there was another a group in Atlanta, eight town players that had a Whoop, there it is record. Right. They probably had it. They had it. We all had it the same. It was all that 1993, but we did ours in 92 that summer. 
Because yeah. I started playing, like I got proof of all this, right? And I just, you know, I never looked back. I don't, I never really even dealt with it because I'm, if we're on a marathon, I'm in the lead. Why am I worried about who's in, you know, it's not, it's, this is not talking shit. This is like, but real, why am I worried about who's in second place, right? Oh, 100%. I'm looking at the numbers. We're number one. That's my goal. I can only concentrate on what I do. You know what I mean? So we did, even when we did Arsenio with them, they, we still were all cordial. You know what I mean? We've never had beef. That's the thing. But everybody else has made it like we had beef. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the only it, it, it still would have been cool if they had one of their members did like a video, this little documentary about how we did it. And it was just like, that's not right. And I was like, yeah. I hate that they I hate that they just living with that. You know, it, I go say hatred, but they living with that false narrative in their heart when it didn't even happen like that. That's almost the most sad thing, right? Is to be carrying that around for 20 some years. Yeah, to be and carrying just around like, all those years. And I don't know if they want to do that. Around, but I'm on this, this I'm on this uh, uh, clubhouse with them and we talking and laughing and congratulating. I'm like, hey man, you know, you know, and, and they, they, they had to say, they said, hey man, we had to just, we just had to, we just had to embrace it, man. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah, duh, we making money, right? Yeah, we all making money, but you know, it's 28 years later, we got a Geico commercial. <laughs> 28 years later, we're on tour. We've been on tour. We do halftime shows. And then on top of that, every chance I try, every, every turn, I try to help them. Yeah. Because people call me and say, hey, man, you know, I get in touch with 95 South. Yeah, I got you. Boom. You know, they do NBA halftime shows now because of us, because I put in the word and help them to do it. Because my booking agents who do NBA shows, I told them what the story was. I'm like, man, go on, help them. Yeah, let, let them eat too. You know what I mean? You give what you want first, man. There is no animosity with anybody for me ever, right? Good. Because it's 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 it does, it's it's a waste of time. Plus, yeah. I got bigger fish to fry, right? You know, I got bigger fish to fry, and that brings me back to to what's going on. You know, going on when with the Geico commercial. I'm like, how am I gonna make hay out of this, right? Yep. So one, I made hay out of one way with the acting. We prep prepared. Now the commercial is done. But then I'm like, okay, what are you gonna do? So I'm setting everything up. I'm making sure my demo. I'm I'm prepared. Making sure the web. I'm working on the website 24 seven. Making sure everything is correct. All okay. We're set. Christmas Day comes. The Geico commercial drops. And I got a press release ready. But then I was like, I should wait on this press release. But it was so big, right? Because it was a. It, they, they they dropped it Christmas at midnight. And they had a, they did a YouTube ads and they bought the front page. We were oh, on the front wow. page worldwide for YouTube ads. So my phone is just, my phone has been going bzz, 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 <laughs> ever since, ever since January, I mean, December 26th. Right. So now I'm like, okay, here we go. Then the first week I'm like, now I'm doing my research. I'm scouring every day, looking to see what social media is. And I'm looking, I go, let me type in scoop. There it is. Tag team. But then let me go to news. And then I see, oh, they're writing articles already. Wow. So I went and I got an archive of all the articles that have been written. Right. Then I was like, wait a minute. I could go back. You know, I, I would write a letter and say, hey, could you please put a link? You know, a, a do follow link that, 
you know, with an anchor text going straight to tag team. So they're all the same. You get more juice that way, get more authority, more people come to your site. Everybody's doing it for me, right? It's only like three or four. You got, uh, you know, just a couple of little bitty ones. Clio Ward, the Clio company did one, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, this is what we're going to do. And I was like, wait a minute, I can go back with all these articles on history and then start at finding these journalists and say, hey, let's, uh, let's redo, let's do another article. I got this Geico commercial. And by the way, can I send you, I sent him a letter. Could you please put the link on the old article to the new, you know, to the site. And now yeah. all, them, all, all this old aggregated material on the internet has links coming to the womb. There it is site. Plus a new article about the oh, Geico so smart. with links coming to the, to the website, right? That's me. Yeah. That's my hustle, right? Fan That's the what, flame. Yeah, you see that that is what excites me, right? Yeah. So now I'm like I'm grinding every day, making contacts, boom, 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 social, you know, the whole thing. And this is about the time it was like the 14th of January. I had the meeting with my uh agents, and they were like, Yeah, they didn't, you know, we don't want to blah blah blah. And I was like, you know what? I joined, let's let me go do my <laughs> thing. I joined the uh um, what's it called? Uh, Public Relations Society of America, <laughs> right? If you're not gonna be my, if you're not gonna be my publicist, let me learn how to do it, right? Went through their resources. They're like, we have a, a Zoom meeting, our monthly Zoom meeting with the CEO, uh, CEO of the PR firm, such and such, right? And I, you know, it's twenty dollars. I jump on, and I'm, I, hey, I got a question. And I was like, I'm new to this. And they're like, hey, DC, welcome. It's like, I just got a question. Are press releases still relevant? Because mind you, I got a press release in the hole that I'm trying to figure out kind of double dutching. Should I drop it? Should I not drop it? Yeah. How should I drop it? But what's happening is that every weekend from, they dropped it at a perfect time because every football game that's on and now it's just blowing. It's exploding. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, every Sunday it explodes every college bowl game it explodes every time just every, new year's eve rocking new year's eve they played it at, at at midnight when they went to break and exploded and i'm getting calls at 12 17 in the morning i'm thinking everybody's calling me because they want to wish me a happy new year they're calling me because they've seen the damn geico commercial <laughs> right so i'm in the zoom and i'm like our press release is relevant and she's like, what do you think? And I was like, she was like, well, what's it for? I was like, well, I'm kind of featured in this commercial, uh, Geico commercial called Scoop, There It Is. And they're like, well, and I'm looking at the chat. And the chat's like, wait a minute. What? I love that commercial. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Yeah. That's the best commercial out right now. And boom, boom, boom. And it's like, oh, oh my gosh, we can tell by the chat. You know, DC, we're going to talk about that Geico commercial after this, right? And then she's like, so is our press releases relevant? She's like, hell yeah, if you got a Geico commercial. So I was like, especially now because we're in a pandemic, boom, 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 boom. I knew this already, but that was my way of infiltrating the Zoom and kind of taking it over. Yeah. And I took over the Zoom and them ladies in 10 minutes gave me the game. Want to go to this site for this. You want to go to Harrow for this. 
help a reporter out. You want to go to radio guest list if you want to get on the radio shows and all the podcasts. You want to go to this site. And when you do your pitches, you want to do it like this, this, and that. And when you do this, you do this, you do this and that. And then you do this and this. Oh, yeah, and this, that. And this is an old school technique right here. You do this, 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 and this. Oh, my God. And I hit the ground running. And that is how we're we're talking right now. Really how we're talking right now is because I'm trying to correct the information on my Google knowledge graph. Okay. Right? On the right side, right? Because you got all these things and it's like, <clears throat> you know, before, you know, four years ago, you type in tag team in the search, it's all wrestling. You type in tag team and now it's all tag team. You've done your work. <laughs> yes. Good for and you. The Google knowledge graph. I'm like, I'm reaching out to everybody, Deezer, everybody who's done anything, if it's just Spotify, everybody, so I can correct the information, right? So I corrected the information. That's why we're talking, because I'm thinking we're correcting the information, but yeah. this turned into something different, right? So this is one part of it. Then another part is I learned, it took me three, four years to learn how Wikipedia works. So I could edit all the Wikipedia information and take all the crap off of there that was from 20 years ago. Yeah. So now Nikki Swift just does a video. You know how they do the videos on YouTube? Yep. Really going on with such and such. The true, the real true life of such and such. Now Nikki Swift does a video of tag team and all the information is accurate. So it is the perfect video because it is the tag team narrative that I want the world to know. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I love that. Now, Yeah, so now... That's one part of it. Then the Thursday before the Super Bowl, I dropped the press release. I said, it's the perfect time to drop because you drop press releases from Tuesday to Thursday. That's when they're most relevant because people don't really work on the weekends. It's going to be hard to aggregate it on the weekends. Within six hours, 300 entities picked it, pulled it, put it on their sites, put it on their news wires. Then... I got all, I got 300 do follow links back to the tag team site. From wow. High authority websites. That's how a press re- release Press release is just a record, a historical record, right? Yeah. yeah. That's all it is. It's not, most people think I do a press release, I'm going to be rich. No, it doesn't work that way. No. So because I put a press release out, Tamron Hall calls, we want you guys on the show. Such and such calls, we want to do this. Because the radio list, I sign up for that. Now I get an email every two, three days of all the podcasts that need guests. And for me, I do two, three, four podcasts a day because this is a way to practice my articulation for voiceover. Mm -hmm. This is my way to practice my career at motivational speaking. This is my way to practice better interviews. This is my way to practice better conversation. This is my way to practice all these things that make you an entity that people will pay for outside of what you do. Yeah. Right. So I had to, I I, I, I had to tell you all this because I could have just sat there and been happy. I had a Geico commercial, but now for the last three months, I've been laying seeds all over this ground. And today I am standing in a forest. Yeah. Because I booked, I've been booking for acting. I've been booking for voiceover. Uh, The Mart Agency is about to introduce me to 100 brands. No artist deals with the book. Like, here's the thing. I am tenacious. So 
I'm not, I'm the one doing everything. Most of the time there's buffers between artists. So you're going to have the manager, then you're going to have either the record company and they're going to set up that thing with Geico, right? Yeah. But this is me setting it up. Geico call the tag team phone because I got a number that they can call on the tag team phone, but I didn't answer. But because I'm an internet dude, all my profiles are filled out correctly. They went to IMDB, got with my agent for acting. Then that was my opportunity to say, hey, I could do this, but then I'd have to hire lawyers and stuff. Let me let my agent do this because I'm an actor and this is what they deal with every day. Yeah. They made the deal, beautiful terms. And now the rest is history. And I could have let the agent deal with the Martin agency and Geico, but I'm like, nope, I'm going to infiltrate them and get and have relationships with everybody all the way up to the CEO. Yeah. Me and the CEO, I'm about to have a conversation with the CEO of the Martin agency who represents over a hundred brands after I talk to you. Oh, I love it. You've, and they're it, about to introduce me to their whole, their, their whole staff or their whole, they have like a, uh, a meet and greet with the brands. They're about to put me front and center in all their brands. And now I get to impose my will, but I better be prepared. I better have oh, my I voice have over no doubt done. you're going to be prepared. I better have all my acting stuff done. I better have my reels done. I better have all this done before I do that. Because if I go in there and I'm not prepared, it's my fault. Yeah. Right. That goes back to Obama not being prepared and having a website so I can take advantage of the opportunities that fall my way. Right. So now, so then on top of that, I'm having meetings with my, my, my good friend of mine, JC. He's like, man, you got to get the numbers. You got to get the data from Geico. I'm like, man, I ain't about to do that. Called the Geico, talking about give me the data, what the numbers are, and all that. But you know, I, that was the that was the visceral defensive reaction. But I'm always listening. I might react defensively, but I'm still listening. Uh -huh. And I thought about it, and I said, hmm, I'm not gonna do that because I don't want to ruin the relationship. But how can I get the data? Make a call to iSpot TV. Make a call to Nielsen. Now I'm in meetings with Nielsen and iSpot TV, who all they do is gather data on television commercials. <laughs> Just go through the back door. iSpot TV, I said, how much does it cost for me to be a member or what, you know, do I want a membership so I can find the data? They're like, we've already done the data for you because we loved your, because I send pitches. We loved your pitch. Uh, you're not going to have to do that because this is what we want to do. We want to, we've already looked up the data. Right now you're the, number one Geico commercial of all time for artists. Wow. So Lil Richard, Rat, The Who, Salt and Pepper, Boys to Men, DJ Khaled, Incredible. Ice we, we surpassed them in a month. Oh right? my God. Right, so they said, we wanna do this. We wanna do a Zoom and we want to, cause I'm like, I'm trying to find my value add. I'm trying to find my value proposition. So when I go into a board meeting or if, you know, they're treating me like the publicist was, we don't know what we want to do, kind of, what do we want to do? We don't know. I could be like, bow, this is why you're going to give me my money. Yeah. Because the conversions were this, the indexes on this were this, the fun index was that, the likability index was this, this was that, 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 and that. That's why you got to give me, give me my money. Or you're going to lose me to somebody, you're going to lose me to your competitor. I have my value proposition so for good. me and for tag team. Yeah. So now Nielsen calls me, you know, but go back to iSpot TV. 
they gave me the data. They said, we want to do a Zoom interview with you. And then we're going to put together your value proposition for you in the form of a presentation, but it's an interview that we can use as advertisement. And all you got to do is send people to this link. Amazing. And it's done for you. Oh my God. <laughs> Just off my tenacity and my hustle, right? Met with, met with uh, Nielsen, the ticket was too high. I was like, thank you, I appreciate you. He's like, no, 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 we got, they, they, can't, they, gave, they had a solution for me. And they have me to one of their conglomerate companies that uses their data. They didn't have to do that, right? But they did it because they wanted to help me. They loved, they loved my pitch. Yeah. And it's all about the pitch. They love my pitch. And they were like, introduced me to a new company that was affordable. But I wasn't going to do anything because I had already done everything. But I said, if I need to write something up, then I can use your services because I know you have all the data real time because they threw me a couple of nuggets. And I was like, really? Like they had good Nielsen data. Yeah. So when this is all over, the Nielsen data is going to be bananas. So I could take that data, throw it into out as press releases. Now it's relevant. Right. But the press release serves as the template for my life and what I want it to be going forward. I'm an actor. I'm a voice artist. If you're listening, Dave Leone and uh, uh, John Favreau, I want to be in Star Wars. I want to yeah. be in The Mandalorian. <laughs> but that came about because I had a meeting with my agent. And they were like, DC, so you, what do you want to do? And I was like, you guys do enough for me. I'm happy. They're like, DC, what do you want to do? And I was like, man, I told you, you guys are good. And I was just like, DC, what is your bucket list? And I was like, oh bucket list hmm and then all my dreams started coming just like i want to be in star wars oh, I, I want to be that's so animated cool. or live action right so now with every big thing that happens i could do a press release then i could throw it out there or if i do ellen right i could i could move it toward talking about acting and whatnot and be like yeah and I want to be in Star Wars. You hear that, John Favreau and Dave Leone? Somebody's going to hear that. 100%. Go to them. And they'll be like, I love that commercial too. <laughs> and call my agent, say, hey, we want him to read for this. That's all it takes. Does he have a demo? Boom. I just did my animation demo last night. It's five hours. I'm exhausted right now because I did an animation demo last night. But my animation demo is done by the best. And we took our time. And it's going to be spectacular. Cause I'll be ready. Yeah. And I'll be like, here you go. It's like, we didn't even need to hear that. But since we did, we really know, you know what you're doing. So we want you to read for this, this, and this, I can do multiple characters. Now I'm on my way, but I just booked a TV show for Tyler Perry last week. So now I'm booked. Now I'm getting voiceover opportunities all over the place. So now it's time just to create. Right. Yeah. And now I'm in a position to where I am campaigning Clio, all the award shows to try to be the commercial of the year. And I got a whole year to do it, but I don't care about winning the winning a Clio. I just want to be nominated. Yeah. If I'm nominated, that press that's a press release worthy thing that can blow me to another level. Exactly. Like Clio nominated DC the Brain Supreme. You see what I'm saying? Oh, it's so good. I mean, all, all the this goes, but 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 think about what I've made out of these lemons. 
Oh my God. It's just, an, this is what I love about this because I knew that there was, I mean, I love getting the backstory to it. And then I love seeing like how it all came together, but to like, see where you're, where you've brought it to and where you continue to bring it to is just something that I love to hear. And I think that anybody that's listening, just one, your agents come in and asking you what the bucket list thing, people just need to be more self-aware, I think, and ask themselves mm -hmm. that. What what do you really want? And what don't do be really afraid want? to ask ask and answer that question. And um, oh my God, I'm 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 so thankful that you got on on the show and spent some time with me because I'm feeling really inspired. Go down that motiv motivational speaker route because you you've got this. And um and keep doing it, DC. I really really appreciate your time, man. You got it, man. Later. Awesome. DC, thank you so much for coming on and telling us your story. I'm just so impressed with how you've worked so hard behind the scenes to keep this amazing song a big part of yours and our lives. So thank you so much for that and much continued success. Guys, for the stories behind the songs, come to songfacts.com.